So with today being New Year's Eve, we have to at least talk about New Year's resolutions to some extent, right? And so it's either a love it or hate it type thing, right? You either are really excited to set goals and try to stick to them, or you think it's a total waste of time, and if you wanted to do it, you should have started in December. It's one or the other, right? So who in here has and likes New Year's resolutions? Not as many as I thought. Who thinks they're a waste of time? No shame. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I personally really enjoy setting New Year's resolutions. I like the fresh start of the year. I think it, it just feels good. Uh, I have a routine that I do each year where at the end of the year, I, I sit and I think about all of the things that took place in the, in the year, right? The good things and the bad things. And then I, I thank the Lord for sustaining me through another year. And then I, I pray about what goals I want to set for the new year. And something that I personally like to do. Um, and so I was curious what the top five New Year's resolutions were. And so I looked online and I found a couple polls. Uh, and according to one, here are the top five New Year's resolutions that people set for 2024. Uh, and it's an order of most common to least. So number one, save more money. Number two, exercise more. Number three, spend more time with friends and family. Number four, lose weight. And number five, spend less time on social media. So amen to that. That's a pretty, pretty solid list right there. I support that list. And the key, the key to achieving all of these goals is persistency, right? That's what we need. If we have enough persistency and, and passion, I would add, there's a good shot that we're going to achieve the goals that we set. And that is what we find in our passage today, actually. In our parable, uh, we hear of a widow who has been gravely wronged by someone, and she's seeking justice. She's seeking vindication from this judge. The problem is the judge is crooked. He is unjust, he is unloving, and he refuses to help her out. But this widow, she goes to him persistently and pleads with him until finally he is so worn down by her that he gives her justice. She achieved her goal through her resolute persistency. And the logic of this parable is that if an unjust judge can give this widow justice, how much more will God, who is our loving father, who is compassionate, give to his children who persistently pray and cry out to him? And so our big truth for today is simply this. We show our faith through persistent prayer and through a resolve to not lose heart. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the gospel according to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18, and we're going to cover the first eight verses. And before we begin, we must remember where we left off because we took Christmas off of, God, of the Gospel of Luke. So two weeks ago, Zach preached on Luke 17, 20 through 27. And one of the main themes in that passage was the return of Christ, his second coming, and the reality that we live in the already and not yet. You see, the Pharisees, they inquired Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And they were thinking politically and militarily. And Jesus responded by telling them that the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that you think, Pharisees. 
In fact, the kingdom of God is already here in your midst, and you're missing it. The Messiah was standing right in front of the Pharisees, and they missed him. And then he warns them. He tells them that they're certainly not going to miss when he returns. It's going to light up the sky and be visible to everybody. And he warns them, do not be unprepared when I return, like it was in the days of Noah, like it was in the days of Lot. Because if Jesus returns and we are unprepared, we will see how swift judgment and justice will be. And so let's go ahead and jump into the Gospel of Luke. And remember, a parable is a tool, a method of communicating a story that that reveals a deeper truth. So 18, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So in this parable, unlike so many others, Jesus actually told them up front what it means. Verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And that's where our big truth for today comes from. Disciples, you should always pray. You should not give up. You should not lose heart. How convenient is it that Jesus tells us up front what he wants us to know? And then in verse 8, Jesus asks, who's going to have faith when I return? And we have the answer in verse 1. It's those who are persistent in prayer and who do not lose heart, who do not give up the faith. And then as we move into the parable, we are introduced to the first character. We are introduced to the judge. And here is our first big idea or our first main point for today. We show our faith through a love for God and a love for others. You see, the the judge neither feared God nor respected man. And do those two things remind you of something? Perhaps the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us? In Matthew 22, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your minds. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This judge clearly disobeyed this command, right? This is not a judge who you want adjudicating your case. And then we're introduced to this widow who begged him for justice to be done. And the parable doesn't give us the exact context of her situation, who wronged her and and how they wronged her, but we know that she was gravely and severely mistreated, and she's seeking vindication. She's seeking protection from an enemy. She needed justice to be done. 
it was as if her life depended on it. Because in these ancient cultures, in these ancient times, widows, along with orphans and, and, and the poor and, and the sick and, and the marginalized, were extremely vulnerable. This group of people was dependent solely on the goodwill of other humans, which this judge shows none of. And we know from the Old and the New Testament that God has a lot to say about caring for the widow, about caring for the vulnerable, right? We know that there's a lot to say about it. And so this is just a reminder for us to heed the greatest commandment lest we become like this judge. Our faith is evidenced by the way that we love God and love others. In fact, our love for God actually motivates our love for others. We think about 1 John 4.19, which says, We love because he first loved us. So we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of how much love and forgiveness that we have been shown. And then from an overflow of that love, we need to love and care for those around us, in particularly the vulnerable in our communities. Don't allow yourself to drift into complacency. This new year, 2024, don't neglect to love your neighbor. That sounds simple, but it's so crucial. We need to stay alert to those who are most vulnerable around us, and then we need to meet their needs. We need to love them. We need to plead their case on their behalf, lest we become like this judge. So between this widow's status and the lack of compassion that she's been shown, her outlook is pretty bleak. But in the face of adversity, she persisted. She persisted. She went back to the judge day after day, pleading her case. And for a long while, he refused. He was indifferent to her case, to her pleading. He was only concerned with himself. But her continual pleading started to drive him crazy, starting to go nuts. She was interrupting his day every single day. And so out of selfish concern for himself, he gives her justice. It wasn't out of a, a fear of God and a, and a love for man that he acted. No, he acted in his own self-interest by giving her justice. The text says, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He grew tired of her. He grew tired of her complaining, of her requests, of her, she was just draining him. She was intolerable to him. But her persistency won the day. It paid off, right? And so to, to a far lesser extent, I think we can all relate with this. Either you have been the one begging someone else for something until they finally cave in and give it to you, or you are the one who is asking questions, asking for things until somebody else finally caves in and gives it to you. Perhaps even this Christmas, parents, you had kids who were just continually begging for a Christmas present early. And finally, you know, you just say, okay, I'll give you one. And, and there it is. Recently, uh, I was the persistent one in this scenario. So Maddie and I are taking a trip uh, in February, and so I book a flight to Orlando through Frontier, first mistake. 
<laughs> you'll, you'll hear why in a second. And it's set for 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, which is perfect because we can come to church, we can be with you all, and then we can go straight to the airport and catch our flights. Uh, a few weeks go, go by, and I get an email that the flight time has changed. They bumped it from 3 to 12.30, like two and a half hour plus difference. And I'm like, well, this is obviously not going to work for us. Like, we're not going to be able to make it. And so I follow the link in the email to see what my options are. There's no other flights available that are in the same time range. And the only option they gave me was to get travel credit on Frontier. And I was like, no way. I'm not trying to fly Frontier anytime soon here. I want a full refund. This is not my fault. And so I call I call Frontier, and you know it's the automated messaging system or whatever, and so it says connecting you with representative, and so I wait 30 seconds, and then the woman who's the automated voice comes back on, and it says, I'm sorry, no one is available to take your call, thanks for calling, goodbye, and it just hangs up on me. I was shocked, and I tried that a few times, and it was the same thing every single time, but I'm persistent, and so I tried a different avenue, I tried the online chat system, right? very handy, and it was still an automated person, machine, and I just kept repeatedly typing in, talk to representative, talk to representative, until finally it said, okay, we're putting you in the line, and the next message I got said, you are number 297 in line, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm waiting it out, I'm for sure waiting this out, and so after a healthy wait, I'm connected with the representative, I state my case, I say, hey, here's what's going on. And he says, you know, the policy is if the flight is under, if, it, if the time change is under three hours, you can't get a refund. You can only get travel credit. And I'm like, dude, it's like almost three hours. I'm sure in the fine print, in the terms and conditions, I probably read it somewhere, but does anybody read the terms and conditions? No. And so I continually plead my case, and he says, this is the policy. I can't give you a refund. But I don't give up, right? And I've worked in call centers many times. They can be rough places. You, you deal with some, some mean people. But I also know that eventually you can wear them down to get what you need. And so I wasn't mean or condescending, but I was firm, and I just continually saying, I need a refund. This wasn't my fault. I wasn't the one who changed Frontier's flight time. I had no control over that. And sure enough, I wore them down, and justice was done, and I got my full refund. And then I booked a flight on Southwest which I just should have done in the beginning, right? <laughs> That's the moral of the story there. And so with the goal of just shutting this widow up, the judge gives her justice. He just wants to get back to his own business, his own pleasures. He caves, and his motives are far from pure, right? But her persistency led him to begrudgingly give in. And hey, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And so that finishes the parable. It's a short parable. And now Jesus moves into interpreting the parable for his disciples. Let me reread verses six through eight. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so here, Jesus is contrasting the judge and God. If even this selfish, crooked, unrighteous, wicked, earthly judge can give this widow justice, 
How much more will God, your heavenly Father, who is compassionate and loving and cares for you, how much more will he grant you justice? Jesus, in comparing and contrasting the judge and God, moves from the lesser to the greater. If this judge is capable of this, how much more is God capable of? And this brings us to our next big idea. We show our faith through a confident hope that God will bring justice to his people and he will make all things new. To God's elect, to those who are chosen by God, to those who cry out day and night, God will surely bring justice. He does so graciously. He does so compassionately because he loves his children and he is concerned about exacting justice. How much more will he bring justice than this unjust judge? In Psalm 88, the psalmist laments, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Those who continually cry out to the Lord will one day be vindicated and justice will be done. Every wrong will be made right. But we must ask, when does this happen? When is this going to take place? And our text says, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus is saying, will God keep putting off his elect? And the answer is assuredly no, he won't. He patiently listens to their cries, but he is waiting for the right time in history to act. Jesus says that God will give justice speedily. And we have to ask, what does that word speedily mean? Because from a human perspective, that means right away. That means right now, right? But that word does not necessarily mean immediately. We have to remember this context. This context is eschatological in nature. It is speaking of the end times, when Christ returns a second time. We have to view speedily from God's perspective, from God's point of view, from God's timing. Because we do believe that Christ can return at any given moment. And when that happens, we know that divine justice will be brought. So from the scope of eternity, God's point of view, justice will be brought speedily. The reality that God will bring justice when Christ returns is so certain that it can be spoken of as if it were occurring immediately. And when this takes place, the suffering we face will seem so short in light of eternity. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The widow in our parable, she needed justice. She was suffering under the unjust treatment from an adversary. And, and the truth is, is, is that we face very little persecution in America because of our faith, right? And that's a tremendous blessing. That's a, that's a gift. 
But the reality is there is millions and millions of Christians overseas who are enduring and facing violent persecution each and every single day. And we, the church, need to be praying for them, persistently praying for them, for their protection through persecution, that justice would come. And we hope in the day that justice does come. Paul says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We're entrusting those who are persecuted to a good and holy and just God. And so in America, there's, there's not much persecution for our faith. But I do think that there's been an increased hostility towards Christianity. I think we can feel that in our culture. And so that increased hostility... It might cost you something. It probably won't cost you your life here in America, but it might cost you something else. It might even cost you something this next year. So my question is, are you ready for that? Are you ready to give up things on behalf of your faith? Or perhaps you've suffered not, not because of your faith under, under mis, mistreatment, but just simply at the hands of people who wish to do you harm, who want to tear you down. And when we take, back, take a step back from the suffering of the unjust treatment from others, we, we also realize how much we suffer from just living in a fallen and broken world. Right? It doesn't take long to, to realize we live in a fallen and broken world. We look around and we see the brokenness. Maybe, maybe this Christmas was the first Christmas you had where there wasn't a, a loved one there. Right? Maybe you are dealing with, with grief. Maybe you're dealing with physical suffering, with pain, with disease, with, with diagnosis. Or maybe somebody who you really love and care about is suffering physically, and it's just breaking your heart. We live in a fallen and broken world. We are no strangers to suffering. And God knows that. And he hears when we cry out night and day. You see, we live in the already and the not yet. We are already saved by faith, adopted as sons and daughters into God's family, already filled with the Spirit of God, but we are not there yet. We are awaiting a restored and a renewed creation, an earth, the full eradication of sin and death, where there's no more pain and no more suffering, and we get to be in the full presence of God, our creator, for all eternity. All of this will be realized when Christ comes again. We look forward to that day. And this hope that we have it's not a lofty hope. It's not just merely a pipe dream. It's not a hope that's just grounded in, or the hope that's not simply mere optimism, right? Biblical hope is a confident expectation in what God has promised. It is a promise of something that is backed with an absolute expectation that it will happen. And we show our faith through having this confident hope that God will bring justice, that he one day will right every wrong, that he will make all things new. And as followers of, of Jesus, one day we will trade in our sorrow for joy. When Jesus consummates the eternal kingdom, we will experience peace and joy to its absolute fullest extent imaginable. In the vision of this eternal kingdom, 
In Revelation chapter 21, we read that God will dwell with his people, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, he is saying that compared to the glory that is coming to us, our suffering now will seem so temporal, so short in light of eternity. And this hope that we have in our ultimate, our future deliverance, it will work its way back and it'll meet us in the here and now and it'll shape how we navigate through this life. Our confident hope in a future deliverance will help us endure the trials and the tribulations of this life. Look forward to that hope. And so we've been... We've been talking about the justice, justice that's coming, right? And with justice also means judgment. It is important for us to realize that we will all stand before the judge one day. And that leads us into our next big idea, which is this. We show our faith through repentance and through reliance on Christ's work. One day, each and every one of us will have to stand before the judge and give an account of our lives. During Christmas, we, we reflect, we look back on the advent of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, when he came to dwell with us. But now, we await his second coming, his second advent, when he returns. And for those who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior, this is a day of judgment, we read about this in Revelation 19. There's this battle that happens. It's the last battle between Jesus and all of the forces of evil. And we witness a decisive victory for Jesus. And he establishes his reign and his rule for eternity, and he judges the whole world. And we read in Revelation 19, in verses 11 through 15, it says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." Jesus first came to save sinners, to bring peace, but he will come again and he will judge the unrepentant and hold those accountable who have followed their own gods and followed their own idols. Jesus will condemn the unrepentant to an eternity of separation from a holy and just and good God. There's a reason that Jesus has not yet returned. God is sovereign and in his sovereignty he is waiting. He is patiently hearing the cries and the prayers of his people, and he does so for a purpose. Patience in his return gives us and others the opportunity to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience is meant to lead us to repentance. God does not want us to perish. Therefore, he has delayed his second coming in order that more and more of us might place our faith and trust in Christ. And this is also confirmed in Romans chapter two when Paul says, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's patience is meant to lead you to repentance? So if you have not trusted In Jesus as Lord, I urge you today, let today be a day of salvation. Let the Lord's patience, let his loving kindness lead you to repentance and faith. We're all guilty. We all fall short of God's glorious perfections. If we stand before the judge on the last day, and we stand upon our own good deeds and merits, it'll be like filthy rags before him. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are proclaiming that I am not trusting in my own deeds, in my own works. I am trusting in Jesus Christ's perfect life, his sinless life, his death on the cross, atoning for my sins, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the right hand of God. I am standing in his righteousness and not my own righteousness. There's a reason that Christ has not yet returned. Don't take his patience for granted. Do not delay. Today can be a day of faith and repentance for you. And for the the Christians, for the believers in the room, God's patient kindness led us to faith and repentance, and now we have a job to do until Christ returns. We show our faith through carrying out the Great Commission. We have been entrusted with the gospel, with the message of reconciliation, the message of peace and everlasting joy. And so in 2024, we need to make sure that we are found faithfully sharing the gospel with those around us. Let's jump back into our text and look again briefly at the second half of verse 8. And this is the end of Jesus' discourse here. He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here's our last big idea. We show our faith through enduring until the ends. You see, Jesus knows that divine justice is coming. He knows that. He is more concerned with how he will find us when he returns. Are we prepared? Will we be found faithless? Or will there be faith like the widows? We must not give up or lose hearts as we wait for the kingdom to fully be consummated. Jesus told his disciples on the outset of this parable, always pray, do not lose hearts. Don't give up, don't lose the faith. Faith and prayer are inextricably linked. If our faith wavers, so will our prayer life. If our prayer life wavers, so will our faith. Prayer is absolutely vital 
to our spiritual health. I heard it said the fastest way to humble a Christian is to ask him how their prayer life is going. And this parable, Jesus' call to persistent prayer, it's convicted me this week of my prayer life. So often our prayers, my prayers, are haphazard. They lack consistency. They lack intimacy. They lack duration. But even the fact that we can approach and meet God in prayer is a blessing. It is a beautiful gift, a display of his love and grace to us. The authors of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What an incredible reality that we can approach the throne of God in confidence, in prayer. Don't take that for granted. Let us learn from this widow. She was persistent and she wore down the judge. Let us do likewise. Let us be persistent in prayer and wear down God in our prayer. Because the contrast is to the unjust judge that our persistency rather delights God. He delights when we cry out to him. In fact, your persistent prayer will show your faith and your dependence and your trust in him. He delights in that. And so when we think back to Jesus' question, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? We can think about this question from, from two angles. The first, when Jesus returns, we show him our faith how, through how we prayed during our lifetime. We prove our faith through the way that we've prayed. And the second, we endure until the end. That is, we persevere in faith until we stand before Jesus through prayer. They are inextricably linked together. And so we do not lose hearts. And we endure this life through the trials and through the tribulations with all its sufferings because of the hope that we have. And that hope is a confident expectation that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to deliver us, he's going to bring justice, and he's going to make all things new. We hope in the eternal reward that will one day be ours at Christ's second coming. In 2024, let's keep enduring. Let's keep enduring until the ends. I don't know if, if you have New Year's resolutions. It sounds like many of you don't. But may I suggest three? Pray, pray, and pray. We show our faith through prayer. We endure trials and tribulations through prayer. We endure until the end through prayer. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is the last letter that he wrote before he was killed. He tells his protege, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, who will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Oh, would we be able to echo Paul when we confront death? 
I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have persisted in prayer. I have not given up. I have not lost heart. Let us be found faithfully praying when Christ returns or when he calls us home. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a a blessing that we can come before you in prayer, that we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace. And we come before you today pleading with you, persistent, crying out to you, for justice to be done. We hope in the day that you will bring justice, that you will avenge those who are persecuted and martyred in the faith. We also look to the day when you right every wrong, when you make all things new, when you dwell with us, when you wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more pain nor suffering for the former things have passed away. We look forward confidently to that day. We know assuredly that it will happen. We know that you are faithful and true to your word. So we acknowledge our sin to you, how far we have fallen short of your glory. But you chose to love us anyways. You've chosen us. You've called us from darkness to light. You have sent your son Jesus to ransom us and to reconcile us back to yourself, Father. We are so grateful for your grace and mercy. I just pray that as we enter into the new year, 2024, that we would be a church, that we would be a people who is persistent in prayer that we would not lose heart, that we would endure until the ends, would you give us a resolve to not give up, a resolve to be adamant in prayer, day and night, persistently, pleading to you, crying out to you. Help us as we enter this new year to keep our minds focused on you and your return and to love those around us, to care for the vulnerable, to love our neighbor and to love you, the Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We ask this in your victorious name, King Jesus. Amen. Do you please stand as we sing a song of response?